The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. someone you know has a child with autism in their family? Answers and support can be hard to come by. Welcome to Autism Spectrum Radio. We will offer practical information for parents of children of all ages, as well as explore treatment topics and recent research related to autism. Now, here is this week's host. Hey everybody, welcome to Autism Spectrum Radio. I'm your host, Rob Halp. I'm the Vice President of Business Development at Autism Spectrum Therapies, an agency providing therapeutic services to individuals with developmental disabilities across the country. Uh, I'm also a board-certified behavior analyst, so I've been working with uh, kids, adults, uh, little, little kids uh, for the last 12 years or so, providing uh, behavior therapy um, and just supporting individuals and their families on the spectrum. Uh, Great to have you on the show today. I, I, I'm a little, a little caught off guard. Um, you know, I, I was all set to open up this show and, and have a, a topic to discuss, and I'm going to get to it. But I, I, I just got the the funniest uh, invite. I was sitting at my computer getting ready for the show, and uh, I was I was checking out um, something on LinkedIn, and. I get a request or, or I guess a note. I'm still getting to know the, the program because I'm new to LinkedIn um, from a former client. And I, I haven't spoken to him in, God, it may actually be about five years since since I last heard from him. And, and lo and behold, here he is on LinkedIn and he connected with me. And uh, it was just, it was great. I, I haven't gotten to respond yet because uh, I came right onto the show, but just a great feeling. It's so cool. Uh, I, I We've been doing this show. We've been doing Facebook, the video blogs. Uh, pretty actively, I've been doing it for the last nine months to a year. And I moments like that really remind me of the connectedness that we can all have and, um, you know, puts me in awe a little bit of the fact that I'm able to talk to you guys from, from all over the country, if really not the world, um, and that people can get back in touch with me that way too. So. Just a real, real cool feeling, and uh, even better is uh, I was able to take a quick look at his profile, and it, it looks like he's doing awesome. Uh, he's working and uh, actually working in a job that five, six years ago is pretty much the job he told me he wanted to have, and he's been doing this, it looks like, for uh, at least six months, if not maybe closer to a year. So just really cool. Uh, but uh, what I wanted to talk about the beginning of the show is uh, – this theme that's been coming up for me over the last probably week quite a bit. And it's something that I've been, I guess I've always struggled with. I don't know if I'm struggling with it now, but I'm, I'm curious about, and you know, it got stemmed from, I know we last week at the, on our, our mailbag show, we talked a little bit about what a BCBA was and how you become one. 
And uh, the group that oversees it, called the BACB, or the Behavior Analyst Certification Board, just released some new guidelines, um, some new supervision requirements uh, for how someone can become a BCBA. And they're stricter, which I, I like. I think it's good that we keep um, increasing our standards, um, creating stricter standards to make better behavior analysts. And, and I think the changes they made uh, are going to do that. But there are a few components in there that got us at AST talking about, well, how do we help our young behavior analysts who are, who are trying to become BCBAs? Uh, how do we help them um, meet these new standards? And, and how can we as an agency support this as well? And we've got some ideas. But it got me thinking about who should, who is qualified to do what? Who is qualified to provide direct intervention? Who is qualified to provide supervision to an ABA program? Um, who should become a BCBA? And these are the questions that I feel like have come up a lot for me. Because uh, just the other day, I got into this dialogue with uh, a director at another agency here in California who kind of got into the, well, who should a BI be? And, and should a BI, or sorry about that, a BI stands for behavior interventionist, the person who's providing the direct intervention to the child. What kind of education should they have? How much experience should they have? And, and, and who is that? Um, and, and, and what should they come into the job having? Um, and, and it's a tough question. And I know I, I feel like I have these idealistic views and I have these visions of, you know, we want seasoned, educated uh, people in the field, lead, developing our programs, implementing our programs, because we want the best for every single child. And then I think about to the flip side of, well, I now, after 12 years, have developed uh, skills. I've been trained. I've been educated. But someone had to give me my first job. Someone had to give me my first shot at getting exposed to this field. Someone had to say, you know what? I like this guy. Rob's got something. Let's bring him in. And I wonder, you know, would, would I have gotten a job in, in my vision? Um, maybe I would have. Maybe I wouldn't. Maybe it's that I had all this volunteer experience, which – as I shared with you guys a few weeks ago, I did. I did a lot of volunteer work, a lot of internships, a lot of things to help get me to be ready. So I wasn't inexperienced. And then I think back to this, this amazing conversation I had with a, a friend of mine in Shreveport, Louisiana, who we were chatting about expectations and requirements and uh, BCBA supervision from a BCBA and and getting a good BCBA as she strove for uh, the certification. And she looked at me and she's like, you know, Rob, your ideas are all fine and good, but there's, this is how many there. And there was single digits BCBAs in her area. I don't have a whole lot of choices. And so what about for those families uh, or for those people where it, I'm speaking to you from Los Angeles and, and there's a lot of BCBAs here and there's a lot of people interested in this field and know what it is. But what about other communities? Uh, I can tell you where I grew up does not have anywhere near the BCVAs that the community I live in today has. And it, every community is different. So it's great that we have these ideals, but how do we get services 
to the kids who need it? And how do we ensure that they're good services getting to the right people at the right time who really, really need it? And I, I don't, I don't have an answer. I, I, but this question keeps coming up is who, who should do what? What should we be looking for? What is the quality? And is it school? Is it training? Is it, is it something else? And, you know, I'm sure everyone in a different community is going to have a different perspective. And the only thing I know that I've seen consistently from the different communities I've gotten to work in, especially in this last year, is a, a big part about this is the heart and, and finding the right people and finding the right person and finding someone open-minded uh, because someone with three years experience who's closed-minded, who has some preconceived notions, maybe isn't the best fit for a child. And maybe someone a little bit greener who is asking the right questions, who's learning, who wants to learn, and who truly cares about you and your child, maybe that's the right person. So it's, it's, it's just one of these questions, and it's one that I know I'm really motivated to learn a lot more about. And it's something that I think really helps you out there if you're starting to embark on ABA or even if you're in it, and I think it's questions that can be applied to some other approaches too, is who's the right fit for my child? What should I be looking for in an interventionist? What should I be looking for for my BCBA? Because sometimes we, the training is black and white or the education and the background is black and white, which is, which is good, but I think there's a lot more to it. I think there's a lot more we need to look at. I think there's a lot more we need to look for in individuals who are helping our kids and who are going to teach and and um, provide therapy to our kids. So I definitely recommend everyone, you know, take some time to think about that as it relates to the people who who work with your kids and, or as you look for new providers to, to provide the therapy to your kids. Um, Let's talk a little bit about this week's show. Uh, I'm going to have my guests joining us in a few minutes. Um, but I'm really excited about this week's show because I have a guest who tackles or who specializes in two areas and is doing research in two different areas that I'm really uh, interested in and areas that I, we really haven't gotten to touch upon too much on the show. Uh, the first being diagnosis and early detection for uh, the warning signs of autism. I think that's something that we can really never spend too much time talking about. Um, what are the signs that I should be looking for as a parent? Um, and then and what should I be doing once I see those signs? Um, it's something that I know we talk about, but I think we always need a refresher for because it's, as we talked a little bit on the mailbag last week, there's a lot of us out there who maybe we're not looking um, maybe we're at a point where, okay, my child has been diagnosed, um, but I have friends and I want to educate my friends out there so they can be aware um, because the early detection then leading into early intervention is, is a critical, critical thing for every child on the spectrum because the sooner the treatment, uh, the greater outcomes and gains we can hope for. Um, the second area that he has written and done some research about is really looking at mental health services and um, therapy services and, and even diagnosis 
um, across some different ethnicities and minority groups. And that's something that I personally am, am, have always been interested in. Um, being from New York, which, you know, the home of, of Ellis Island, where I actually have family who, who came through Ellis Island, um, I really have been motivated by the, the multicultural aspect of, of America, this idea of that we're the melting pot and the history and the, and the heritage that comes with that. Um, but being that we're so diverse, it, it always intrigues me that there, there are some differences and there are some eth- uh, ethnic and cultural differences as we look at what kind of services um, are be- being given to each community. And um, that's something that I think is really important for us all to be aware of and all to uh, be thinking about um, as it relates to this greater community that we're creating. So I'm really excited to to have on our show a guest who can talk about those things. Um, we're going to take a quick commercial break, but when we come back, we're going to talk uh, to my guest, uh, Dr. Erlinger Turner, um, about some of these issues and some other topics too. We'll be right back. Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. Autism Spectrum Therapies is proud to present Autism Spectrum Radio. At AST, we are committed to supporting families through our extensive resources, highly trained staff, and outstanding programs. Call us today to let us know how we can best support your family at 866-278-1520. To find out more about AST, visit our website at www.autismtherapies.com. Connect with us on Facebook and Twitter. Autism Spectrum Therapies, creating futures for individuals with autism. Visit AutismTherapies.com or call 866-278-1520. The incidence of autism has increased at an alarming rate. Approximately 1 in 150 children are affected by autism, giving autism the undesired ranking as the most prevalent childhood developmental disorder in the U.S. 67 children will be diagnosed today. That is nearly one child every 20 minutes. Autism One, a conversation of hope, hosted by Terry Aranga, illuminates how right now there is more reason than ever for individuals with autism spectrum disorders and their families to have the best hope for the brightest future. Autism is treatable and given appropriate therapies, children are recovering. With well-known researchers and doctors, members of Congress, and expert service providers from a wide range of disciplines, Terry offers interviews and insights highlighting the progress in areas related to autism spectrum disorders such as biomedical research and treatment, communication, education, and behavioral modalities, sociological and philosophical issues, and legislative advocacy and insurance concerns. Autism One, a conversation of hope, broadcasts each Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Autism One, a conversation of hope. Through education and conversation, there is hope. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health and Wellness. This is Autism Spectrum Radio. If you have a question or comment for the host or guests, please send an email to moreinfo at autismtherapies.com. That's moreinfo at autismtherapies.com. Now, back to the program. 
Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Autism Spectrum Radio. I'm your host, Rob Haupt. And uh, today we are joined by uh, Dr. Erlanger Turner. Um, Dr. Turner is a licensed clinical psychologist at the Virginia Treatment Center for Children, where he provides outpatient services to children and families. He's also an assistant professor of psychiatry at Virginia Commonwealth University. Uh, Dr. Turner received his doctoral degree in clinical psychology from Texas A&M University and also completed a postdoctoral fellowship in the Behavior Management Clinic at the Kennedy Krieger Institute and the John Hopkins University School of Medicine. Uh, his area of expertise include behavioral parent training, disruptive behaviors, developmental disabilities, assessment and treatment of childhood disorders, and access to mental health services. Uh, Dr. Turner has published his research in scholarly journals and presented at national professional conferences. He is a member of the American Psychological Association and a blogger for Psychology Today at the Race to Good Health. Dr. Kurt Turner, thanks for being on the show today. All right, thank you for having me. Um, so, you know, I was hoping you could kind of start off sharing with everyone your background um, with children with autism. Okay. So I initially um, became interested in autism while I was in college, and I was um, a student at Louisiana State University, and I had been working with a number of different um, of the professors there who did research in child psychology, um, ADHD stuff, some school um, behaviors things as well. And uh, I think it was during um, my last summer, um, right before my last year, there that I um, volunteered to work at a, a camp for children with autism. Um, and it actually was headed by um, Dr. Learman, who I think um, was on your show um, not too yep. long ago. Um, yes, so she was, yeah. It was, a, it was a really great experience, and I've continued to, to do work with that population to a certain degree through my graduate school work. Um, I did some social skills groups with kids um, on higher functioning autism, and I've done um, evaluations with, with kids as well, and also currently I provide some services to children that um, have an autism spectrum disorder diagnosis. That's great. And, I'm, you know, I'm so glad to have you on the show because, you know, as, as I said at the top, I, I feel like one of the things we haven't talked too much about is um, – the diagnosis part of this is the, you know, those early detection pieces. And so I was hoping you can maybe talk to us a little bit about, you know, some of the early signs that parents should be looking for or, or may notice um, that may trigger for them that I think I should get my child evaluated. Right. I think that's a great question. Um, you know, one of the things that you talked about, particularly with um, ethnic populations, is that, um, they are less likely to receive some of these specialty services and um, things like that due to a number of factors. But I think when you notice some of these early signs in your kid, um, it's really important that you notice if they have, you know, difficulties with eye gaze. So if, uh-huh. if you call their name and maybe they don't look at you, um, if there are difficulties with um, some social behaviors, so um, if you're kind of talking with them or playing with them and you don't notice any kind of smiling, um, they may not kind of be interested in um, connecting with you or maybe other kids as they get a little bit older. Mm-hmm. Um, if you notice maybe some overreactivity to different situations or maybe even underreactivity um, to different stimuli, then that may be some things to to um, be kind of a red flag for you to, to maybe go talk to a different professional 
um, mm-hmm. and other types of maybe odd or repetitive behaviors that you may see. So lining up objects, um, kind of spinning objects, um, or maybe some posturing behaviors or um, hand flapping behaviors as well. And you know, one of the, I think one of the questions I get all the time is, you know, especially after we talk about these early signs, is okay. I see these signs. I'm alarmed. I'm alerted to something. But where should I go? Who who provides the diagnosis, or where can I look for someone who can provide a diagnosis? Right, and I, I think that's a, a great question, and I think a lot of parents struggle with that. Um, I think most families maybe maybe initially. Um, come in contact with their pediatrician. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes they can refer them to people to um, do an evaluation for them. Um, I think being able to just kind of look in your own community to see if there are psychologists that may do um, evaluations. Um, if there's a developmental pediatrician that you can maybe um, seek out that may be helpful to provide some early information as far as screening and see if uh, further evaluation is necessary at that point. Um, and I think sometimes schools may come across things that um, they may communicate to parents as well about um, maybe the need for an evaluation, and sometimes they can have referral sources in their community that may be helpful. Got it. Yeah, I think that's really good for, for parents to be aware of. Um, you know, through your experiences, are there specific, I don't know, I guess challenges that you find coming up again that uh, families you've been working with that they're they're facing in terms of within the community or in the schools, and and are those challenges different as you've been looking at or working with families from from different ethnic or cultural backgrounds? Right. I think um, one of the probably biggest challenges for all families, mm-hmm. regardless of their um, ethnic or racial background, is just being able to find the services in their community and being able to um, pay for these services. So mm-hmm. I think now that, you know, insurance covers a lot of these services for some families, um, even then you may have a provider that um, can't provide those services, but then their insurance um, doesn't um, have them paneled to provide treatment or services to that family. And so then there's a whole other um, barrier to them actually mm-hmm. receiving the treatment. And I actually um, recently experienced this myself, um, where I had a family that I um, started working with, and then their insurance um, didn't cover their services through me, and so they were kind of stuck with the dilemma of being able to find another provider, um, you know, start over new with this kid who, um, as we know, children with um, autism spectrum disorders have difficulties you know, establishing relationships, and so they were kind of torn with being able to make that decision about starting fresh with someone else versus continuing um, yeah. with me and pay out of pocket for those particular services. Um, as far as different ethnic groups, I think that a lot of times one of their particular challenges is being able to um, just kind of get past some of the stigma about seeking services in general. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that people have a hard time um, opening up to psychologists and mental health professionals in general just because of the history of um, maybe not the strongest relationships um, with those um, providers. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think also sometimes that for some of those people, um, just their own community beliefs about seeking services 
um, may hinder them from actually going out to seek these services that may be helpful helpful um, to them. Mm-hmm. You know, I was thinking about some of the things you were talking about uh, a few minutes ago with early early signs and early detection. And, you know, I was thinking about um, my my family and the, the household that my father grew up in. Um, very traditional Eastern European um, uh, Jewish family. Uh, grandparents are actually uh, came over. Um, my dad was born maybe like literally maybe a year or two after they came to America. And I think about some of like the social components and some of the eye contact. And, you know, that wasn't that wasn't um, his house. There, there are certain aspects that like, they wouldn't even. They would have been oblivious to, or they wouldn't have paid attention to. Is that something you're seeing where different um, ethnic groups are maybe not necessarily aware of what these issues are? Not because of that, we're not defining them. These are traits or early warning signs, but they don't register as um, because maybe they're not part of their social norms or their cultural norms. Um, so they're not like raising a red flag. Is that something you're seeing or, or you have any insight into? Right. I think um, for some people, I think understanding kind of what's typical behavior for a kid and what's atypical behavior mm-hmm. um, is something that is sometimes difficult for them to distinguish. And so being able to have some resources um, that are accessible to them to kind of understand, you know, if my child is doing X, Y, Z, yeah. Does this um, is this something that's typical and in, in, in the child is supposed to do? Um, mm-hmm. And I think that you know one of the things you mentioned is just kind of how culture plays into some of that. Is that um, different families and different um, cultures have different views about some of those things and and how much well this is just something that we do versus something that's a problem. Mm-hmm. Is there do you from your experience because obviously you're someone who these families are coming to as that next step. Is there a particular advice you give them or maybe advice you give them if they ever ask of how do I talk to other people within my community about this um, so they could kind of get over that initial hurdle? Right. That's a good question. Um, I don't know if it's ever come up where a family has asked me how I can talk to others about this. Yeah. Um, I think my this kind of natural tendency when I work with families in general is that I try to take the approach where I'm um, discussing information with them to the extent that um, we want to understand all of these problems, one, within the context of the environment, but also in that um, thinking about it um, to the extent that if we have a medical condition, um, we're not going to not treat that and not get help for it. Um, and I think that we tend to, when we have kind of emotional or behavior um, mm-hmm. concerns, is that we're less likely to treat that and get help for that because we assume that it's just kind of naturally get better mm-hmm. by itself. And so what happens is that we tend to let these problems kind of occur and they just kind of build up until they get really severe. And then that's when we seek help. So I try and talk with them just as to to understand that when you first notice these things, that we need to at least kind of seek help from someone, um, maybe get an evaluation to get a second opinion and see yeah. is this something that is a problem or not, um, and 
take the view that it's better to know than to not know. Mm-hmm. So if you do have this evaluation and everything comes back, well, it's typical behavior. At least you've caught it early enough to know that, oh, this is something that, you know, there are some things that, that we can work on and some concerns, but it hasn't gotten to that level where, um, you know, it, it's a disorder or, for example. Yeah. No, I, I like what you said. It's, it, it really is. It's better to know what's going on than to be in the dark and, and, and be guessing or doubting or, or questioning. Um, I think that's, that's just real good practical life advice. Right. Um, well, we've got another commercial that we've got to take. Uh, so we're going to take this commercial break and we'll be back with uh, Dr. Erlinger Turner. We'll be right back. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Autism Spectrum Therapies is proud to present Autism Spectrum Radio. At AST, we are committed to supporting families through our extensive resources, highly trained staff, and outstanding programs. Call us today to let us know how we can best support your family at 866-278-1520. To find out more about AST, visit our website at www.autismtherapies.com. Connect with us on Facebook and Twitter. Autism Spectrum Therapies, creating futures for individuals with autism. Visit AutismTherapies.com or call 866-278-1520. Frankly Speaking About Cancer is a program designed to empower survivors and their caregivers to deal with the social and emotional challenges of cancer. The show will invite physicians, researchers, nurses, social workers, patients, and caregivers to share their advice on how to live a better life with cancer. Join host Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community, Tuesday afternoons at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between. Discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. What's going on behind the scenes with your favorite Voice America show or host? For the latest news, visit the iRadio blog at iradioblog.com. This is Autism Spectrum Radio. If you have a question or comment for the host or guests, please send an email to moreinfo at autismtherapies.com. That's moreinfo at autismtherapies.com. Now, back to the program. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Uh, I am joined today by Dr. Erlanger Turner, um, and we're, we're talking about diagnosis and just the resources available and some of the um, different factors that come into play uh, to families at, trying to access those resources. Um, you know, Dr. Turner, I wanted to talk a little bit about the uh, an article or I guess an article or a blog you posted recently on, um, on Psychology Today's website, which I thought was really interesting and just kind of looking at the the autism rates um, as it relates to uh, 
different racial groups, um, as well as the, I guess, the uh, amount of time it took or, or how, uh, I guess, the age that individuals were diagnosed. Um, and I guess I, I was hoping you could kind of share some of those, some of those differences that, um, that you, uh, that you saw or that you were referring to. Okay. So I, I, one of, I think one of the things that kind of initially sparked, um, my interest in writing that blog was, um, from just some personal clinical experience that I've had with a number of families. Um, one that received the earlier diagnosis, um, mm-hmm. I think the kid was maybe about four years old um, mm-hmm. a number of years ago, African-American family. And then another kid who was, I think he was maybe nine years old and um, was diagnosed um, with autism at that age. So that's very big disparity in um, sure. when the diagnosis occurred. And... Um, I had read an article um, recently that just kind of talked about how there are some differences in the symptoms between minority and non-minority toddlers and, and how um, this kind of plays into some of the, the diagnosis and, and how parents kind of recognize things at different points um, mm-hmm. in time as far as through the, through the toddler, toddler development that impacts the, the diagnosis. And so... Just from reading the article, you know, they found how some of the communication delays um, and also some of the kind of motor delays um, between the minority versus non-minority toddlers really impacted um, kind of when these kids were being brought in to see what's going on and then were mm-hmm. later um, given some diagnosis. Mm-hmm. Um, and just from my own experience that, you know, I think, Parents, again, that we talked about earlier, sometimes recognize things different mm-hmm. um, and, and feel whether it's, this kid is just you know, a little bit behind where he needs to be as far as um, early childhood development and other parents feeling like, well, I have a, a friend or a coworker whose kid is developing at this age, and so my kid is not doing this, and so they may seek help mm-hmm. um, at that point. And so I think that piece, just from their own understanding of it, relates to that, but also I I think sometimes professionals um, just kind of based off of their own style and diagnosis sometimes may either give the kid a different diagnosis um, at that point. And so the parent is kind of working under that understanding. Um, But also for some families, again, kind of I think that financial piece is really important to them really being able to pay for these services. So Mm -hmm. um, giving an evaluation is really expensive. Um, Mm -hmm. And sometimes I think families have to make that decision of whether um, it's something that needs to occur now, does it need to occur later, um, and what other types of factors kind of play into some of that, um, which I think relates to when they may seek out um, getting further um, evaluations to, to answer those questions for them. Hmm. And that's really interesting. And, and you know, when I first, when I first read your, your blog, I was – you know, I was I was thinking about that. You have this sentence here, so you know, and I'm reading from it. As, as a result, for ethnic minority children, more significant delays are needed to prompt early identification and search for intervention services. And I don't think I really put together what you were just what you just said. The idea of it's not just a Okay, I maybe aren't no, I'm not noticing these things because maybe that is a factor, or maybe I'm not thinking these things are so off. But 
it's it's going to take a real significant delay to make me overcome a financial hurdle maybe too right. where it's god this is really bad okay i'm going to f- try and get my resources together to pay for this one assessment or for this treatment um i i really feel like that's something we're not as you know myself as a professional and, and a lot of people i speak to i don't think this is something that everyone's thinking about on a regular basis but but should be Right, I agree. I think, you know, it's something that um, I think for minorities, they tend to wait just a little bit longer to, mm-hmm. to use services, not just mental health services, but if we look mm-hmm. at, um, you know, the research and the data on um, use of emergency rooms as far as kind of health care mm-hmm. things, that, that those populations also tend to um, use those services more uh, versus being able to seek kind of regular um, check-in visits. Mm-hmm. As well, so I think that piece also kind of plays into some of that, just as kind of a cultural thing and how we um, kind of respond when we have different concerns. Yeah. Do you think it's is there um is part of it kind of these like the idea of like insulated communities? Like again, I think back to to kind of my childhood and and the the my family. I know there have been times where uh, it, it has been somewhat insulated. It's okay. We're we're around. The people, uh, you know, we're around other people with similar cultures or similar um, backgrounds. And is that similar for some of the minority um, groups that we're talking about um, or from the research that you've kind of done or seen? Right. I think part of it is definitely um, kind of that social support uh-huh. um, that they have and, and whether their um, group that supports them is going to feel like this is something that, oh, it's beneficial to go yeah. and talk with someone about this, or uh, it's really not going to matter um, yeah. as much for them to kind of seek that um, that help. So mm-hmm. I think one of the things that I definitely am interested in is just trying to understand a little bit more as it relates to mental health services, how um, kind of community involvement and in, in our networks really play a role in our decisions about seeking mental health services. Wow. Yeah, I I think that could be fascinating to how much that community around us drives us to, to seek some of these services. Uh, even if, yeah, cause that would factor in quite a bit. I'm thinking of a, I, I'm thinking of this one family I worked with where there was uh, grandparents disapproved of everything that these, this family was doing for their son. And so the parents had to essentially hide what they were, the treatments they were doing for their son from the grandparents. So if grandparents were visiting, they would cancel services for that stretch because they didn't want the grandparents to know what was going on because of the stigma that would come with it. Right. And I think, you know, one thing that I also came across with the, with the family before was that when we have um, little boys, they're supposed to be rambunctious and really active. Yeah. And so sometimes when we have a, a toddler who's really active, we just, oh, it's a typical boy um, behavior. And then sometimes we don't maybe um, seek some help until it gets really, really bad and they're causing problems um, for other people or particularly in, in the school environment. And then that kind of prompts them to be able to seek out some services. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's funny. We were uh, – <laughs> I feel like I just had this conversation. It's It's more from a therapeutic standpoint, but the idea of – you know, boys are some of these gender issues come into play too. Of like, what are boys supposed to be doing versus 
uh, you know, or quote unquote supposed to be doing right. versus <laughs> girls. And at the same time, um, there are certain things that naturally boys do gravitate towards and, and do our therapies actually match that or, or mesh with that? Um, you know, how these different things, uh, the, the delicate balance of all of it is, is just really interesting and, and something that I think is coming up more, um, at least in conversations I have, at least as it relates to gender. Right. I think it's definitely we have, we have those gender difference of views that, that plays into our under, understanding of what's typical and not typical for kids. Yeah. Yeah. And then I, I'm assuming then from what you or from the research you've seen, is, is that, I guess, accentuated within certain ethnic or, or cultural groups where um, the maybe the vision of what a boy is supposed to be like is now accentuated? Uh, no, a boy's this is even more so this or versus females. I, I'm assuming that comes up quite a bit, too. Right. I, I, I definitely think it comes up a fair amount. Um I think I just recently saw a family who had a kid diagnosed, not with, with um, autism, but with, um, other concerns, and mm-hmm. definitely just the activity level for that kid was um, yeah. kind of considered, well, it's a boy and he's supposed to do these things, and really trying to talk with parents about um, understanding uh, development and that these things may be kind of typical of boy behavior, but also thinking about this behavior and it being appropriate or not appropriate under certain situations, and then that being kind of the factor to determine whether this is something that, okay, this needs to be different. You know, going back, one of the things I like about the the article that you wrote, and you ended it really well with the idea of, you know, here are these differences, here are these factors, but here's the treatment. And And I like the message you sent there about, bringing it back to the treatment of, okay, regardless of the stages, the whens, the hows, treatment is still very key. And, um, you know, so you talk about some of the different treatments that are, that are necessary. I was hoping you could kind of uh, share with everyone the, the types of supports or therapies uh, parents should be looking for, um, you know, after they've received this diagnosis. Right. Um, I mean, I definitely think treatment is important and, one of my interests is definitely in early intervention, which is why I'm really fascinated about, um, about child psychology and being able to understand what's going on with kids and, and get them services as, as quick as possible because we know that the sooner you get services, then the better outcomes that you have for these kids. Um, so specific to um, autism spectrum disorders, I think that you know, behavior treatments are definitely kind of the, the most um, helpful because you can tailor it to specific behaviors and being able to kind of understand why some of these behaviors occur and being able to give them some uh, the more appropriate um, behaviors to be able to to get the things that they need and want. So um, mm-hmm. definitely the, the evidence speaks to a lot of the applied behavior analysis treatments um, and 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 having kids being seen by you know, specific behavior therapists that are actually going to be able to work um, mm-hmm. with them one-on-one or with the parents to be able to help them mm-hmm. to, to change and modify their specific behaviors. Um, I think those are really important. Um, so I was, you know, when parents are seeking services, definitely recommending that um, the therapist that they work with or other psychologists um, has a behavioral background. I think that's really important um, for these kids. 
um, if the person is a behavior analyst, um, I think that's helpful as well. Or if they abide by some of those uh, ABA principles, I think it's really helpful uh, and most beneficial to the families. We've got one last commercial break we're going to take. So we're going to take one last break and we'll be back with our final segment with Dr. Turner. Be right back. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Autism Spectrum Therapies is proud to present Autism Spectrum Radio. At AST, we are committed to supporting families through our extensive resources, highly trained staff, and outstanding programs. Call us today to let us know how we can best support your family at 866-278-1520. To find out more about AST, visit our website at www.autismtherapies.com. Connect with us on Facebook and Twitter. Autism Spectrum Therapies, creating futures for individuals with autism. Visit AutismTherapies.com or call 866-278-1520. Are you looking for a 21st century first aid kit? You don't have to suffer nor take on the increasing expense of health care. Tune in to Good Vibrations. Catch the wave to better health. Your host, Lynn Waldrop, will show you how many common and even uncommon aches, pains, and ills can be remedied through sound, color, and light. While it may sound like these are new concepts, believe it or not, these are actually ancient methods that still make sense today. Create a healthy life. Listen Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific on Voice America Health & Wellness. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health & Wellness. This is Autism Spectrum Radio. If you have a question or comment for the host or guests, please send an email to moreinfo at autismtherapies.com. That's moreinfo at autismtherapies.com. Now, back to the program. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Uh, we're here at Autism Spectrum Radio. I'm your host, Rob Haupt, and we are in our final segment uh, with uh, Dr. Erlinger Turner. Um, Dr. Turner, you ended right before the break on a, a, the idea of early intervention and, you know, ABA therapy and behavior therapies and, and these different interventions really focusing more on training the parents. And it, it's something we've talked a lot about the show on the show about parents being involved and the generalization and the uh, all, all around support that the child gets Um but I was wondering if you could talk about some suggestions or advice you have for parents for resources or support for themselves. Um, because obviously, you know, we see um, and, and we've heard from parents that when they get the diagnosis, they themselves are under a great deal of stress. And, and uh, a number of uh, parents who have been on the show have talked about really needing um, some either their own therapy or, or better coping strategies or or just support to go through this process. And so what kind of suggestions or advice would you have for them? Right. I, I mean, I definitely agree. I think thinking back for me, one of the experiences that I personally had with giving feedback to a parent um, who received the diagnosis um, and their first comment to me was, well, they're going to grow out of it, right? And I was kind of 
caught off guard because I wasn't sure how to respond to that mm-hmm. um, because it's not something that the kid can grow out of. However, we know that with intervention that these kids can be, you know, successful and, and productive people. And mm-hmm. so really um, giving the parents some hope that, you know, things can get better, kids are really resilient, um, just making sure that you um, kind of treat them like a typical kid, um, but also being able to have your own ways of being able to cope and understand with, you know, your kid is different. And I think that's hard for a lot of parents, um, mm-hmm. no matter what the diagnosis is, just to hear that their child is different um, by having that um, diagnosis. And so I think, as you mentioned, just making sure that you're able to care for yourself as a parent. Um, so I think being able to seek out support groups, um, if there are any in your community, where you can talk with other parents that have gone through this process um, to talk about you know, what it was like for them and how you know, they've been able to deal um, with the, going to the treatment and working with their kid um, who has a diagnosis. Um, I think also being able to just seek out some of the resources. There are a lot of resources on the web um, that are helpful for parents just to educate them about um, what are expectations for these kids and um, what are some of the things that you can expect as far as the, the symptoms and, and behaviors that these kids may exhibit so that you just have a good understanding about why you may get some of the behaviors um, as far as if a kid is in a situation where they can't communicate um, what's you know, distressing to them and what's making them angry, and so they act out behaviorally, just understanding that there's a reason for all of this. So I think the more that you can educate yourself about some of these expectations um, are really helpful for parents. So um, there's the Autism Speaks website, Autism Society of America, have a lot of resources to help educate parents about what are some of the expectations um, that they can have. And I think, as you mentioned also, um, seeking your own therapist, if that's something that is helpful for you, so being able to just kind of process um, your feelings about kind of what were some of the expectations that maybe you have for your kid and and how either that these things can be possible or not, and being able to process that. Um, Because I think sometimes it's, it's like a grieving process for some parents because when you have a kid, you have all of these hopes and dreams, and sometimes when you hear that your child has a diagnosis of something, then sometimes those things kind of change for you. And so being able to process that, I think, is really helpful for parents. Yeah. No, I, think that's, I think that's really good advice and, and, and good steps for them. Um, you know, we, we're, we're pretty much out of time, um, but if I, I know, um, you know, as we said at the top of the show, uh, you, you're a regular contributor for Psychology Today, um, and I know their their website is uh, www.psychologytoday.com. Um, is there uh, another way to kind of follow what you're doing, um, or is that, is that the best way to kind of follow up on on what you've been up to and, and what you're working on? Yes, yeah, so I will. I'll post blogs there on Psychology Today. Um, I also have a Facebook page. Um, there, Dr. Earl Turner, and I will post information as far as kind of parenting and things about um, different diagnoses mm-hmm. as well. And I also have a Twitter account, Dr. Earl Turner, as well, um, and you can follow me there. Well, thank you so much for being on the show today. I feel like we, we touched upon some, some great topics that um, I, I've been wanting to touch upon for a while, but just uh, haven't been able to have a, a great guest like you to, to do so. So thank you so much. Now, thank you for having me.
All right. Um, we got a couple minutes left, everybody, and uh, just want to kind of round out. You know, we're, I, I can't believe it. We're, we're into March now, and uh, 2013 is really in full swing. Um, and I'm, I'm really glad that so far we've been able to, to touch a pretty diverse uh, uh, range of topics and really cover uh, a lot of different areas. Um, and I think the, the things we talked about today, you know, obviously the, the early diagnosis is, is critical and early intervention is critical. And you guys hear me talk about it quite a bit because of all of the research that's out there, all of the importance about it. And I think the more we educate ourselves um, as part of this community, the more we can educate those around us. Um, but also thinking about this community and all the different people that make it up and, and thinking about um, the things that are, are different about us um, that lead to some differences in how we're able to access um, services and um, and learning about it so we can better support one another. Because um, I think we, we talk about racial differences and ethnic differences, but at the end of the day, you know, autism affects everyone. And we are, we are the autism community. So by understanding some of these barriers, some of the limitations, some of the things that that Dr. Turner talked about today, I think it, again, it helps us become better supports for one another. And the timing is, is always right for us to talk about helping one another. But, you know, now that we're in March, April's right around the corner, autism awareness month. And so it's the perfect time to really have these dialogues grow and, and become part of a larger discussion because these are the topics that I know a lot of people um, who are maybe newer to our community are really going to be focusing in on as we get closer to April. And we have this great opportunity to educate one another. Um, so I encourage you all, uh, whether it be through, you know, contributing and, and being part of our conversations here on the show, um, being part of conversations with one another on Facebook, um, contributing to the dialogue that we're having on our Facebook page. Um, I think all of them are great ways for us to continue because, uh, Time and time again, it's 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 parents and it's people, it's it's us as a community who who really can uh, drive the uh, the conversation, really push a, a really powerful agenda um, that others can benefit from and learn from. So, with all of that said, I hope you have a fabulous week. Um, please email us uh, any questions, any comments you have. Um, I want to contribute them into our next mailbag show. Um, I had a great time. It's nice to have a guest today so I could take a break from a uh, show all of me talking. But uh, I want to do another one to make sure we're, we're covering all the different topics that you guys want. Um, I'm going to post a couple more video blogs over the next few weeks. Um, again, as I've said before, I want to keep touching upon uh, – working with kids who maybe have some more aggressive behavior, some more severe tantrums, because I know that's a, a question that's coming up a lot on Facebook. Um, and so as always check out our website, uh, autism therapies.com, um, because uh, I'm posting a lot of my blogs and our info there. I hope you guys have a fabulous week. I uh, hope you uh, have some good plans and some good things lined up for March and April as the spring breaks hit our kids who are, uh, at school, and I will talk to all of you later. Take care. We hope you've had some questions about autism answered this week. 
Autism Spectrum Radio can be heard live every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Please join us for another edition next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network its staff and management.